Good morning, church family and ministry friends. I'm Pastor Stephen Brooks. Welcome today to our online, internet, around the world church service. And I'm so happy that you're here because I'm convinced, fully persuaded, that God's Word is able to build you up to do everything that He has called you to do and, most importantly, to become the person that He wants you to be. And that is the Christian, the believer who moves into the full mature image of Christ Jesus. And that my friends is unfolding in your life today. Praise God. Now let's take our Bibles and we're going to go over to Proverbs chapter three. And just for a moment, I want to talk about a scripture and then we're going to receive the tithes and the offerings. Now we're not going to receive tithes, but the tithes, the tithe means 10%. Praise God. We see something fascinating here in Proverbs chapter 3. But first, let me say this. You know, it was about, about this time last year when my wife and I were talking with a Christian businesswoman. And she, she, while we were in her store, she basically made a statement that her store, her business will never fail. And we said, why? And she didn't say because God is Lord and Jesus is Jehovah Jireh. She said, watch this. She said, because my husband has a very successful business and he will contribute to my business. Should there ever be a challenge, this business is not going anywhere. Well, just a few days ago, we received a bulk general email in our email box. And it said the, the header on the email said, going out of business, 60% off everything in the store. <laughs> I thought, well, her husband must have had a hiccup and she must have had a hiccup. And now she's closing the doors on her business that will never go out of business. My friends, your faith needs to be in the Lord, not in a person. And God can work through people and God can pour through vessels, but don't ever forget who the source is. The source is God. He is the Lord. And when you work his biblical principles and you have faith in him, even should every other source run dry, he will never run dry. He's the river of provision that will never run dry till this day. Since the Lord in eternity past going back, back, back before uh, we even would have an awareness or knowledge of before the Lord ever created an angel till this day, since then till this day, God has never laid off one angel. He has never said, Gabriel, come over here and uh, get a sheet of paper and a pen. I'm going to dictate to you. We need to lay off a hundred thousand angels because we're having a heavenly recession. Such a thing has never happened, nor will it ever happen. And my friends, when your faith and trust is in the Lord, not somebody else, although God may work through somebody else, but when your faith and trust is in the Lord, you'll never know financial failure. Woo! Praise the Lord. You'll never know it. You'll never know it. Mm -mm. Hallelujah. Pastor Stephen, that's a pretty bold statement. Well, the word of God's pretty bold. Hallelujah. And when you lift the principles, when you work the principles, excuse me, they create lift. 
Praise God. Mm -mm. Hallelujah. Just like the sun's going to come up tomorrow morning. Watch, it'll do it. Just like the sun's going to come up tomorrow morning, God's faithfulness in your area of finances will always be there if you're in covenant with Him. Now, if you're leaning on the arm of human flesh and things get rough because there are uh, natural sickle, uh, uh, cycles that are even annually or sometimes once a decade, or they could be, but they're cyclical and they go through the, uh, the world economic current. And people can feel that, but in the Lord, you can go up. That's the miracle of it. Not only, we're not only talking about being sustained, but you can go upstream when others are being perhaps even washed away with the downstream current. Praise the Lord. Look at uh, a tremendous key in going upward when others could even go backwards. Look at this Proverbs chapter three, verse nine, honor the Lord with your possessions and with the first fruits of all your increase. Now think about that just for a moment. Honor the Lord with your possessions. Let's reverse engineer that. If you can honor the Lord financially, did you know that you can also do things that dishonor God with what you have in your hand or what you, or, or what you don't release that could be in your hand? What is the tithe? Well, Pastor Stephen, the tithe is 10% of uh, that which God uh, brings into your life of increase or, you know, 10% from the check that you get, but 10% belongs to the Lord. Yes, the tithe is the Lord's. But as we dig deeper, what is the tithe? The tithe is proof of honor. I want to say that again. Your tithe is proof of honor. Pastor Stephen, I fear God. That's good. Do you honor God? Well, that's a different story. Well, we need to fear the Lord, reverence, and respect God. But we also, my friends, need to more fully encompass that by honoring the Lord. And honor is a very big thing in the kingdom of God. Not only should we honor the Lord with the tithe, with first fruits, but the the revelation of the first fruits basically is this you do it first okay so you should not only give the lord the tithe which is his it's 10% that's that's what he asked for okay 10% but not only should you give it but you give it first so the first thing you do is you don't pay your phone bill the first thing you do is you don't pay your electric bill the first thing you do is you take the 10% and you set it to the side and you bring that into the storehouse that belongs to God. This is what some people do. This is what some Christians do. Pastor Stephen, I'd like to do that, but I don't, I don't do that. How come? I, I, I don't have enough money left over. That's why, that's exactly why you don't have enough money left over because you're not putting God first. You're not putting the Lord first. So you honor the Lord. Okay. And not, not just in words, but in action, in obedience to the scriptures, you honor the Lord by tithing and the tithe goes first. Mm -mm. Pastor Stephen, I just received an inheritance from a long lost uncle. I have been given $50 million, $50 million. Praise the Lord. 10% tithe belongs to the Lord and needs to be brought into the storehouse. Well, I'll do it after an extravagant shopping spree. No, no, no. The tithe belongs 
to the Lord and the tithe is done first. The first fruits are first, not last fruits, first fruits. It doesn't matter if it's $50 million or a $50 blessing. Five of it, $5 belongs to the Lord. Five million belongs to the Lord. Praise God. Hallelujah. Well, I don't think I'm going to do that, Pastor Stephen. Then you dishonor the Lord and you'll stand before him one day for having dishonored him in the area of finances. I didn't say you're not going to make it to heaven. If your faith is in Christ, you can go to heaven without being the tither. You can go to heaven doing all kinds of goofy things because of the great mercy and love of God. I'm not giving you license to sin, but I am giving you scriptures that will get you into the area of blessing. Mm-hmm. Look at this. Look at this. This is powerful. First Samuel chapter two, and we drop down to verse 29. Why did you kick at my sacrifice and my offering which I have commanded in my dwelling place and honor your sons more than me to make yourselves fat with the best of all the offerings of Israel, my people. So this is a prophet. The Lord is speaking through the prophet to the high priest, Eli and Eli has been very slack in his responsibilities, uh, his sons and really uh, the other workers, the priest there at the tabernacle system are being very, sinful in many of the things that they are doing and allowing there at the tabernacle and the Lord's fed up. Mm -mm. Have you ever had enough to eat? And somebody says, are you full? And your only response is, yep, I'm fed up. Well, God got fed up with all of this, all of the dishonor and disrespect taking place at the sacred offering. And he said, you honor your sons more than me. So it's not like people don't know how to give honor. It's just that they're not giving it to God. Therefore, in other words, therefore is a sum total of what has been spoken before. Therefore, the Lord God of Israel says, I said indeed that your house and the house of your father would walk before me forever. Oh, so we could have had a dynasty going on here, special lineage. Yep. Well, it's over with as of right now. But now the Lord says, far be it from me. For those who honor me, I will honor. In other words, the Lord sees it. The Lord notices it. He takes note of it. And if you will honor the Lord, he will, not he might, he will honor you. Mm -mm. Watch the part B. That's part A. Here's part B. And those who despise me, this is in context of giving offerings. And those who despise me shall be lightly esteemed. Wow. You know, what's a crazy reality in the earth right now. There are full grown adults in their forties and fifties. Dare I say seventies who have been on the planet for all of those decades. And they have not given God in their whole time on the planet earth. Not even one penny, not a penny. You don't think that's dishonorable. They give it everywhere else, give money everywhere else, purchase this, buy that, exchange uh, goods and services, do all this stuff in their whole life. They've never given God one offering. Wow. Mm-mm. Praise the Lord. Well, my friends, we're not walking in darkness. We're, lo- we're walking in light and we are walking in the blessing. Let's honor the Lord with the tithe that belongs to him, but let's, let's honor him by giving it first, not last. 
when there's hardly, you know, maybe 2% left over. Let's fix that mess where there's not 2% where there's a surplus. You get into the surplus by working the word and doing what it says and putting the tithe first. The quality of your life is defined by following the instructions from God's word. Here's your life instruction manual. In the instruction manual is Proverbs 3, chapter, uh, Proverbs chapter 3, verse 9 and 10. Now, everywhere in Scripture that abundance is mentioned, obedience is demanded. It's not optional if you want to get into the blessing. It's demanded. Everywhere abundance is mentioned, obedience is demanded. So let's take one more look. At that beautiful scripture from Proverbs, Proverbs 3, verse 9, Honor the Lord with your possessions and with the first fruits of all your increase, so your barns will be filled with plenty. Filled with plenty. And your vats will overflow with new wine. Goodbye shortage. Goodbye lack and insufficiency. Regardless of what's going on out there in the world with uh, crazy economic turmoil, you'll be in a place of fullness, plenty, and even overflow. But we have to follow biblical instructions in order to taste the good blessings that God desires to bring into our lives. Praise the Lord. And many of you are already tasting the grapes of the Canaan land, and it's not by luck or chance or accident. It's based on obeying scripture. Praise the Lord. Once again, the quality of your life is defined by following the instructions from God's word. Well, let's follow those instructions right now. Let's bring the tithe and let's sow some seed, give an offering and bring it into the storehouse. Now, those of you that prefer to mail in your tithes and offerings, please send them to Stephen Brooks International, P.O. Box 717, Moravian Falls, North Carolina, the zip code 28654. Mm-mm. What a joy to sow seed and reap a harvest. What a joy to bring God the tithe that belongs to him and have a divine covenant of protection and blessing and spiritual rain, illumination of the spirit falling upon your mind. Mm-mm. Those of you that like to to uh, bring your tithes and offerings in online, you can do so from anywhere in the world, day or night. Please visit the ministry website, stephenbrooks.org. There's a link on the homepage. It has a red heart. It says give. You can click on that. You'll see the segment for the tithes. You'll see the segment for some uh, options to give into various projects where you could give an offering. Praise the Lord. Thank you for your giving. Thank you for your generosity, and most of all, thank you for your obedience to the Word of God. You know, I think about what the uh, the elder John said in the old, excuse me, in the New Testament. There's no greater joy than to see that the children of God are walking in truth. There's no greater joy for a minister than to see God's people obeying the Scriptures. Mm-hmm. God's going to honor you because you honor him. Father, bless your people. Bless, bless uh, your people as they honor you, particularly in this area of finances, which is very important. We thank you, O God, that you are bestowing honor upon them. We give you praise in Jesus' great name. We all say amen and amen. 
praise God. Let's go to the book of Daniel today. We're going to journey into the book of Daniel. And I want to talk about wisdom and might for end time conquest. Glory to God. We are in the end times. We are now living in the days foretold by the prophets of old, such as Jeremiah, excuse me, uh, particularly I'm thinking right now about Isaiah, Isaiah chapter 60, verse one, we are told in the last days that gross darkness will come upon the earth. My friends were there where there is such darkness and confusion that people don't even know what gender they are. The, the, the confusion and the darkness are actually uh, increasing like a thick black cloud, but hallelujah. It's during that time that God says that the glory will be seen upon you. His glory will be seen upon his people. And it's the time. It's the best time for the church. It is the lifting up of the church. This is what you have been waiting for. Now is your moment to step into the light, to step into the glory. And we want to talk about some things that we can do to experience in time conquest. Praise God. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, as we go into your word, let your Holy Spirit come right now, bringing the spirit of wisdom and revelation like a torch, a light, so that the eyes of our heart are illuminated with understanding so that we can see your word, take it, apply it, and run with it and experience the powerful results that it brings. Thank you. Thank you, Father, for the ministry of your Holy Spirit. In Jesus' name we pray, and we say amen. Daniel 1, verse 1. In the third year of the reign of Jehoiakim, king of Judah, Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, came to Jerusalem and besieged it. Well, this has been a buildup. Many prophets have said, uh, Judah, repent, repent. Isaiah the prophet said, repent, repent. They had enough of him. Manasseh had Isaiah the prophet sawed in half. And so it's, uh, there was enough warnings. There was enough warnings. They did not humble themselves and repent. And so off to captivity they go. And what you read here, my friends, is a result of pride, arrogance, and a stubborn refusal to repent and to turn back to the living God. Verse 2, And the Lord gave Jehoiakim king of Judah into his hand with some of the articles of the house of God, which he carried into the land of Shinar to the house of his God. And he brought the articles into the treasure house of his God. Now we move down to verse 3. Then the king instructed Ashpenaz, the master of his eunuchs, to bring some of the children of Israel and some of the king's descendants some of the nobles, young men in whom there was no blemish, but good-looking, gifted in all wisdom, possessing knowledge, and quick to understand, who had the ability to serve in the king's palace. Well, what we're seeing here is what conquering kings have implemented throughout the, the history of the earth, pretty much. Even up until recent times, we see many of examples of this. You don't have to look far. It was just back in the 1800s. When the Turkish Empire was ruling a huge segment of the area that we would know as the Middle East, and during that that rule, it was it was a Muslim rule, and what they would do when they would conquer an area, a smaller nation or a new territory, they would take captives, particularly young men, 
and they would bring them back to their Muslim capital. And what they especially liked to do was if they conquered an area and there were Christians, they would take the Christian young men and they would change their names and give them a Muslim name. And then they would educate them in their, in their ways and uh, impart to them their knowledge. And then they would send that young person back to rule over a territory underneath their authority and their, their control back from the home base. And so that was a standard method of operating. Even much more recent times with the British Empire, uh, with the famous slogan, uh, the British Empire was an empire upon which the sun never sat. That's because the empire extended so far into different time zones and the different geographic areas that it was so big that literally the sun never set on it all in one place. It was too large. But the British Empire implemented the same tactics. If they conquered a territory, and of course they conquered many territories, they would, they would hand select the best young people. They would take them captive because they've already conquered the land. They would bring them back to England and they would educate those people, those captives basically that are now subjugated. They would educate them at Oxford and Cambridge. And then after they have poured their knowledge and their influence into them, they would then send them back to their home country and establish that person now in a high position like governor or something like that. So they can now rule and uh, impart that influence of England upon now that conquered territory. That's what it means when uh, you say something was Anglicized. They're taking the English culture, customs and so forth, and they're trying to implement or stamp that upon the culture that they have now conquered. And, you know, when I was in India, you know, you, you still see quite a few remnants of that. And, uh, uh, the Indians love their tea time. Where, where did that come from? Well, that came from the English during the uh, period of uh, colonizing all of these different parts around the world and, uh, and ex uh, uh, exporting their culture and so forth, which well, of course included Christianity, but also their culture, which is drinking tea. So you have a lot of cultures now all over the world that love to drink tea, even down in Australia. They like to have their tea time. And in India, they like to have their tea time. And some of the best chai tea I've ever had has been in South India. Well, my friends, this is no different from what Nebuchadnezzar is doing right here. He has conquered the land that we know uh, as Israel or Judea. And he has taken these Judeans and he has brought them. Now, remember, the, uh, he is hand-selecting the best of them. That tells us that Daniel... Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, and those three, that, that's their Babylonian names, that tells us that they are actually of royal lineage. So this is very amazing about Daniel. All these guys are very handsome. They're very smart. And uh, uh, normally the ones that would be picked by Nebuchadnezzar, or uh, it was kind of the same regardless of where it might be, but you want the young people that are old enough to understand what's going on, but they also still have to be moldable. So normally the typical age that they were, that they're going to pull from would be between the ages of 14 to 17. So Daniel most likely at this time, is probably only 16 or 17 years old and they are being pulled into this special training to be molded. And basically uh, Nebuchadnezzar is trying to make them Babylonians. 
He's trying to remove their Jewish culture, remove their Jewish identity, and he's trying to stamp upon them his culture and his identity, which is why we see the next thing there in verse 4. It says that they might teach the language and literature of the Chaldeans to these noble Jews, such as Daniel and his three friends. So they want them, number one, to learn the language and then also uh, the literature, read the books and so forth. So uh, many of you that can speak multiple languages, you know this. If you learn the language of a different culture, you catch their spirit. What do you mean by that? If, if you learn that language and you become fluent in it, that gives you a huge insight into the way that people group is, the way they think, why they do what they do, and you begin to see really who they are in their unique identity when you learn their language. And so this is very important, particularly for missionaries that go out on the mission field. You're going to have to learn that language, and the better you are at it, uh, the more native that you become at it, the more that you're going to be received, and the better, of course, you're going to understand who you're working with. Praise God. Oh, the beauty of all the cultures that God has created. So, we move on now, verse 5, and the king appointed for them a daily provision of the king's delicacies and of the wine which he drank, and three years of training for them. The number three is very significant in areas of training. It represents symbolically a completion. And so it took three years of packing intensive training into these already young, talented, brilliant young men, and they pop out of the other, other end of that, and they have had uh, the best uh, poured into them so that they might serve the king effectively. So that at the end of that time, they might serve before the king. Now from among those of the sons of Judah were Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah to them, the chief of the eunuchs gave names. So there's the name change. Also, we see that with uh, just Nebuchadnezzar basically saying, hey, I want you to morph into our culture and become just like us. And, you know, we're going to work together, but you've got you to take this new identity. Mm-mm. He gave the name Daniel, uh, he gave Daniel the name Belteshazzar to Hananiah, Shadrach to Mishael, Meshach, and to Azariah, uh, Abednego. Verse 8. Now watch this very carefully. But Daniel purposed in his heart that he would not defile himself with the portions of the king's delicacies, nor with the wine which he drank. Now the wine... This is something that you, you have to study, but the wines that they were drinking, even in the biblical times of Christ, are very, very different from the wines that you see today. If you go into a normal grocery store, or we could even say a liquor store, and you see bottles of wine, you have to understand that the, uh, the wines back in the Bible days were not like that. Why? Uh, well, first of all, we didn't have glass back then. Now, there was glass, but if, if you had a vase of glass that was about twice the size of this cup, and it was made out of glass, you would probably have the wealth of a, of a, of a billionaire. And uh, it was possible uh, to have a, a glass cup that would be this big, but if this was in your house, the cup is worth more than the entire house. And the only time they ever found glass back in those days was in the homes of those were, that were extravagantly wealthy. So without these things, uh, without refrigeration, 
how do you how do you preserve wine well it would it would be boiled down into a paste that was called dibs and then you would reconstitute it later by adding water to it and you would carry the dibs in uh, your leather pouch and so forth and on and on it goes but basically in this essence is what I'm trying to say is that Daniel they uh, and his fellows they knew that this wine is what the barbarians drank okay they knew this wine is what the pagans drank why it's potent. <laughs> yeah, uh, just like wine today. Two glasses, you're legally drunk. You go out and drive after doing that, you could kill yourself or kill somebody else. That's that type of wine. They're like, hey, we can't, we can't have our heads messed up. We can't be walking around in a cloud. Um, it is astounding to me how uh, many people in America are really actually alcoholics. They may not admit it, but the truth is, is they can't stop drinking. They have to have their, uh, their nightcap, their little scotch on the rocks, or go to the bar and get their martini and, and stare at it in the colorful glass with all the uh, little hoopla that they put on it to make it look cool. And I'm not saying it doesn't taste good, but I'm just saying there's a lot of people that are enslaved to alcohol. So as for me and my wife, we never touch it. I never, ever drink alcohol or any type of alcoholic beverage, neither does my wife. We stay completely away from it. I believe it's extremely dangerous. And Daniel said, no, no, we're not drinking this wine. And also, very, very importantly, he did not defile himself with a portion of the king's delicacies. We have a real problem here with the king's delicacies because the meat that's being served here is saturated with blood. Now, remember, Daniel's making these decisions. He's no, he knows Torah law. He's a sharp, sharp young man, and he's, he's of royal lineage. The other fellows do, too, that are along with him. They know, hey, this is, this is going against the Torah. Uh, for those of you that like filet mignon or steak, rare, medium rare, with blood dripping out of it, uh, we're going to have an interesting talk for probably the next five minutes. Um, Daniel and his young fellows both don't have their mom and dad saying, hey, now you know what Moses said in the law, uh, we, we, we can't eat that. They already knew that. But they're making this choice out of their conscience. And they're not going to defile themselves by eating meat that is saturated with blood. They love, uh, the, the pagans love blood in their meat. It has been common throughout ancient history for pagan cultures to drink animal blood and to think that by drinking the blood of that animal that they are receiving the strength or the power of that animal. And unfortunately, quite a few customs uh, of this exist still in the world today, through, sadly, throughout Asia. And that's why they think if they, if they drink the blood of the, a tiger, uh, they're going to have that virility of a tiger. I've seen, uh, sadly, I've seen that taking place even today. That's why we have a lot of these beautiful exotic animals endangered. Why? Because some, some goofball, maybe even a Christian goofball, wants to eat it or drink its blood or take its horn and grind it into powder and drink it. How stupid. <laughs> How utterly stupid. Lord, have mercy on Christians who follow cult, uh, cultural customs that violate the word of God and are just gross. You should have enough sense as a Christian to know this is stupid. This is gross. This is not biblical. We should not be gulping this down. This is dumb. This is superstition. <laughs> I'm stepping on somebody's toes right now. 
And to be honest, I'm having a good time doing it because you shouldn't be doing that stupid stuff. Praise the Lord. Mm -mm. Praise God. Glory to God. Now, Pastor Stephen, I, I have to admit, I, I love a filet mignon. Rare, because it's juicier and more tender that way. And when I bite into it and there's blood running everywhere, I just, I just like that. Well, what does the Bible say? Leviticus chapter 17. Levit now, I, I know, already know before I read this, there's going to be something they're going to do it anyhow. That's okay. It's between you and the Lord. <laughs> Leviticus chapter 17, verse 13. Whatever man of the children of Israel or of the strangers who dwell among you, who hunts and catches any animal or bird that may be eaten, he shall pour out its blood and cover it, cover the blood with dust. For it is the life of all flesh. Its blood sustains its life. Therefore, I said to the children of Israel, you shall not eat the blood of any flesh. For the life of all flesh is its blood. Whoever eats it shall be cut off. What does that mean? I'll take my steak. Well done. No red. Oh, it tastes better with blood dripping out of it. Well done. Because I know the Torah and I know the word of God. Mm -mm. Acts chapter 15, please. We're going over to the new Testament. Just for a moment. We're going to come back to good old Daniel. Acts chapter 15. Somebody's getting all troubled about their steak now. God bless you with your meat. <laughs> Woo! Acts 15, verse 19. Therefore, I judge that we should not trouble those from among the Gentiles who are turning to God, but that we, but that we write to them to abstain from things polluted by idols, from sexual immorality, from things strangled, and from blood. Okay, things strangled, things, uh, animals strangled. How come I can't eat a strangled animal? Because it wasn't killed properly. And if it's, if it's been strangled, that means the blood has not been drained out of it. And now the blood is congealed within the veins or the various parts of the animal. And uh, God said, don't do that. You're not supposed to be eating all of that blood. Verse 28, for it seemed good to the Holy Spirit. Let that go into your heart. For it seemed good to the Holy Spirit and to us to lay upon you no greater burden than these necessary things that you abstain from things offered to idols. I don't have any problem with that. From blood. Pastor Stephen, I like blood. Why? That's kind of weird. Why do you want to drink blood? Okay, I'm just giving you what the scriptures say. To lay upon you no greater burden than these necessary things that you abstain from. Things offered to idols from blood, from things strangled. That means they weren't killed in the proper way. And from sexual immorality. If you keep yourselves from these, you will do well. And Daniel said, boys, the king's wanting us to eat all this royal meat. And it's loaded, loaded with blood. Not only that, there's Mr. Porky on the table. And we can't eat Mr. Porky Pig because we, we are told that he's an unclean animal. And Daniel said, we're not going to eat Porky the pig. And the pig, I'm sure, was greatly relieved. But my friends, um, not only was the pig described in Scripture as being unclean, but uh, I grew up as a young boy on a farm. We had hogs. And once a year, there was the annual hog slaughter. 
Oh, my grandmother, grandfather, and parents, all, all Christians. But Christians who never read the Old Testament. I mean, we read the story about Moses crossing the Red Sea. We read things like that. But as far as really examining the, the Old Testament, no, we didn't really pay attention to it. That's all law. We're under grace now. And so most of the time, we're doing things that any Jew would look at and say, whoa, those Gentiles are crazy. So we would have our annual hog slaughter. Down in the backwoods of Mississippi, the hogs were all nervous, but that's just the way it was. Their day had come. Uh, and so we take uh, hogs. These are big hogs. We had one hog weighed 500 pounds. Take him and, whoosh, uh, you know, you cut the throat and the blood starts coming out and you hang him by his feet for a while. I'll, you know, throw a rope over a tree branch, big, strong tree branch. Pull the hog up, take a couple men to pull him up. You always had helpers, other people come in, come in and help. And, uh, you know, big pot, uh, cauldron boiling of hot water, because you're, you're going to need a lot of hot water for what you're about to do. And it was butchering time. But here's the thing. Did you know that you could never drain a pig? You could let him hang upside down with his head cut off, because that, yes, well, you know, you, you cut that area, and then they, they bleed him out, and then you take the head off. But you can't, you can't not bleed a pig. <laughs> <laughs> you may have a pork chop. You may not see any squishy red stuff coming out of it, but you cannot drain a pig. Mm. I've seen pigs. They eat their own excrement. Pigs are loaded with viruses and germs and all that, and that all gets into the bloodstream. And if you drink that blood, you're drinking everything that's being carried in that blood. So just things I think that you should think about. All the little creepy crawlies. Pastor Stephen? Uh, I like spider. That's gross. You know, there are some nationalities they like spider. The bigger, the better. Catch it. Fry it up. Throw a snake in there. Eat a nice squirmy snake. Pigs, shrimp, scallops. Uh, on and on it goes. Wow. But my friends, those things are listed in Scripture as uh, not on the food category. Did you know that in the mind of the Jewish rabbis that a pig it's not even considered food. If God did not authorize it to be eaten, they don't even view it as being food. Oh, but you can, Pastor Stephen. You could put sauce on it and, and cook it and cut it up and eat it. Tastes good. They don't, it doesn't matter. They don't consider pig. They don't consider spider. They don't consider these other things as food. Mm -mm. So for them, they don't, it's not even an option. Look, all I'm saying is that if you want longevity, you want to go to 120, then those... Those rules, those guidelines are not just put there for no reason. And many of these, I would call them bottom dwellers. They're the, they're the uh, filtering devices for our lakes and our ponds and our oceans. And they're unclean because they're, they're the garbage trucks of the world. Ooh, Pastor Stephen, I love to eat shark. Well, you're eating on the bottom. I love catfish. You're eating on the bottom. Those are all, th those are all scum, trash eaters. <laughs> <laughs> uh, did you ever notice that when you eat according to God's laws, God's uh, clean laws, you're eating from the top? It's considered clean. Mm -mm. Praise the Lord. Well, what did Daniel decide to do? They said, they said we can't, we can't eat that because it's, it's um, wrong according to Mosaic law. And so what did they ask for? Lentils. And they went through a test. And the assistant, 
the, the one that was over the, maybe we could call it the dean of the school, uh, said, wow, you guys are, you're looking better than anybody else. And, you know, they'd laid off no, no wine and no, none of these unclean foods and stuff like that. And they were, they were moved into perhaps we could call it a vegetarian diet. And if you've ever been in certain countries, like I've been in India for extended periods of time, uh, you realize, hey, I could, I, could, I could become a vegetarian. I haven't had it for weeks. Doing just fine. And a lot of that has to do with good spices. If you have good spices, you have lentils and stuff like that, you can cover just about every flavor palette without even having to have meat. Now, I am a meat eater, but I'm just saying these guys are in a situation. Their only out was to go the vegetarian route. They ate lentils, and they were just fine. Mm -mm. Praise the Lord. Thank you, Jesus. So God will honor your consecration. We see that in verse 15. And at the end of 10 days, their features appeared better and fatter in flesh than all the young men who ate the portion of the king's delicacies. Thus the steward took away their portion of delicacies and the wine that they were to drink and gave them vegetables. And uh, in the Hebrew, that is lentils. Praise God. Mm -mm. Thank you, Jesus. Some of you. Um, I'm not trying to put you under law, but I am saying that if you want to live out your life in health and reach that old age and not be all increpit and messed up when you get there, you should, you should examine these things so that you have health in your body, not sickness and disease. Praise the Lord. Mm -mm. Thank you, Lord. Now, let's look at something very interesting here in verse Verse 18, now at the end of the days, when the king had said that they should be brought in, the chief of the eunuchs brought them in before Nebuchadnezzar. Then the king interviewed them, and among them all, none was found like Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. Therefore, they served before the king, and in all matters of wisdom and understanding about which the king examined them, he found them ten times better than all the magicians and astrologers who were in all his realm. This shows something very fascinating also about Nebuchadnezzar. He was a brilliant man. He was able to ask questions and frame them in a way that separated these four from the others. The questions that he was asking were so um, complex that it revealed the brilliance of those four. That tells you that Nebuchadnezzar was one sharp king. He was one well-informed man. And even the magicians, these astrologers, were very smart people. The word magician or magi, the root word, in the Hebrew and ancient Aramaic means a scribe. It means to write. So these were very scholarly, well-studied people. And yes, those that were uh, doing astrology, they... They mixed in a lot of astronomy. Why? They were studying the stars because they wanted to be able to predict the future through endeavoring to read the stars. So they're a brilliant group, but these four had something super special upon their life. And I believe that the Lord is going to touch you in a special way today. Praise God. Mm -mm. Now, let's drop down to chapter 2. We're going to begin to move towards the heart of what I want to talk about today. Yes, Pastor Steve, and I'm listening very intently with my, uh, my biscuit and pork sausage sandwich. Mm -mm. You know all the good Christians down south. 
they're not going to give up their pork for nothing. So I'm not trying to get people to give up pork. <laughs> There's probably somebody going through the drive-thru at Bojangles right now. Mm-mm. Pork is super big in North Carolina. But it is good to know the Word. The Word does bring illumination. A lot of times what people don't realize is the, the taste that they like of pork is actually not the pork. It's the seasonings or the spices that they're putting into the pork. If you eat pork all by itself, I actually don't like it. I don't even like the way it tastes. All right, on we go. Praise God. We'll leave Porky Pig alone. Hallelujah. We're in Daniel chapter 2, verse 12. For this reason, what is the reason? We're going to see that the king gets very volatile, super angry. Why? Well, the reason why is because he had a dream. The dream, uh, and it just it was repeating, and uh, his sleep would leave him, but he would wake up, and the dream would just be pulled back, and he could not pull the dream up, and he calls everybody together in the morning, all of his counselors, wise men, magi, so to speak, and gets them all together, and he wants to know what the dream is, and you actually see that God is concealing that dream from him he would dream it but he can't he can't remember it but he knows it's stupendous and he must have an understanding of it but even he himself is like <laughs> what what was it and so God's doing this on purpose why because if if Nebuchadnezzar just tells them the dream then hey how do you know that the interpretation is not just something that they're making up because after all he is the he, he's like a dictator and you want to present to him a good interpretation. So the, the dream interpretation, we can muddy the waters. In other words, we could, we can twist the meaning of the dream because we want it to be presented to him. Good. So you see how God is actually working here because God's going to make this a situation that is beyond all of these quote, wise men, unquote, and only God's going to be able to unveil it through his servant. And so the king is going to do something very wild here. But actually, if you look at it, it's actually very logical. Look at verse 12. For this reason, the king was angry and very furious. Why? Nobody could interpret it uh, because they don't know what it is. And so all the wise men are saying, well, tell us the dream. We'll tell you what it means. He goes, no, you tell me what I dreamt. And also give the interpretation. And they just became absolutely flustered and said in verse 11, it is a difficult thing that the king requests. And there is no other, there is no other who can tell it to the king except the gods whose dwelling is not with flesh. Okay, so you see God setting this up because this is going to prove there is no other God but God. Mm-mm. Now watch what the king does. It seems kind of crazy. And it is. But there's, there's actually reason in it. For this reason, the king was angry and very furious and gave the command to destroy all the wise men of Babylon. So the, the decree went out and they began killing the wise men. <laughs> oh, by the way, they're looking for Daniel and his companions to kill them also. All right. So it's actually a very logical thing he's doing because he's basically saying, if you can't do this, then you really are all frauds and I don't need you anyhow. So if there cannot be some type of verification where I know that you're not pulling my leg or, you know, just giving me a spin job here, I'm just going to get rid of all of you anyhow and start all over again. 
Now, of course, that's not something you would want to do on a regular basis. You're going to, uh, I mean, you still need smart people. So you don't want to throw them all out, but that's what he's decided to do. And this is something that you do see at times in crazy dictators. Remember, he's an ungodly king. We see that uh, with Joseph Stalin, for example, who was a tyrant. He actually slew all of his generals. He didn't like them. He thought maybe there were some that were plotting against him. And he just said, uh, he signed an order, kill every single one of them. So everybody from uh, the rank of an officer that was a colonel and up, they all got executed. So he killed 103 of his highest ranking uh, military personnel, just killed them. Not to mention 60 million other people. He was a butcher. 20 million. For sure that historians say were murdered by Stalin of his own people, not through war or anything like that, just through cold-hearted, cruel brutality. Mm, he was, uh, you know where he's at now. You know he's in hell. Mm-mm. But uh, we see sometimes dictators do this crazy lunatune stuff. Here's Nebuchadnezzar. Kill them all! <laughs> crazy. Crazy stuff. Uh, in the Cambodia Revolution, you saw the Marxist leader, Pol Pot. Uh, he went total cuckoo. And the Chinese communists backed him up and really gave him the power to go totally bananas in his home country. And he began killing anybody that had intelligence. If you had any type of higher education, kill them immediately. Even if you wore glasses which were a sign of somebody that was studious or had intelligence. They thought, kill anybody wearing glasses. If you could speak a second language, much less a third or fourth, kill them. Kill them. And he wanted to reduce everything back to a, a agrarian culture where we all share food together and we all live in a communal system. And the whole thing left the nation in absolute destitute poverty. And he murdered people groups by the hundreds of thousands. Mm, awful, crazy things. So with dictators, the closer one is to the center of power, the greater the risk of your life is. <laughs> well, I'm the right hand of the king. Well, uh, that's, that's good. Uh, for now it is, unless he has another blowout mood. Woo, watch out. Mm -mm. Okay. Well, the king's having one of those here. Verse 13. So the decree went out. And they began killing the wise men, and they sought Daniel and his companions to kill them. Now we come to number, excuse me, verse 14. Then with counsel and wisdom, Daniel answered Arioch, the captain of the king's guard, who had gone out to kill the wise men of Babylon. He answered and said to Arioch, the king's captain, why is the decree from the king so urgent? Then Arioch made the decision known to Daniel. Now again, notice what Daniel said. The beginning of verse 14, then with counsel and wisdom, Daniel answered. That's very important. Now, let me say this. If you want to be used by the Lord in these end times, and I know that you do, I know that you want to be a vessel that God can work through to bring him glory and to accomplish his purpose and to further extend his kingdom. But in order to do this, to be used mightily by the Lord, you're going to have to major in wisdom. Wisdom is the end time major subject of the church. 
walking in the last days. Mm-mm. Then with counsel and wisdom, Daniel answered Arioch. I want to show you something in the same flow that's found in the book of 1 Samuel chapter 18. And perhaps some of you that are watching me can identify with the scripture that I'm about to read to you. 1 Samuel chapter 18. Let's go down to verse 5. Praise the Lord. So David went out wherever Saul sent him and behaved wisely. And Saul sent him over the men of war. And he was accepted in the sight of all the people and also in the sight of Saul's servants. Now look at it again. So David went out wherever Saul sent him and behaved wisely. Let me tell you this. If you behave like an idiot, it's over before it ever begins. You're going to have to major on wisdom. If you want to reach the top point B here is that sometimes in the divine plan of God. Wow. Sometimes you may find yourself where you absolutely must be under a Saul and you think, Oh God, maybe I'm out of your will. No, no, you can be exactly perfectly in the will of God and yet be serving under an incompetent person, be serving beneath the person who flies off in a rage like Saul and uh, would curse and get all hot and stuff like that. I'm not saying you need to stay in an abusive, dangerous environment, but I am saying sometimes you can find yourself in God's perfect will, yet being beneath the authority or under the uh, assignment of a Saul, somebody who's jealous, somebody who's incompetent, and like David, and also like Daniel. You could even be under the authority of a wicked man. What is the key here? The key is to walk in wisdom. You're going to have to walk in wisdom to know how to deal with these types of personalities, to know how to deal with these complex situations. You're going to have to major on wisdom in order to move forward in God's plan for your life. Praise God. Because sometimes you can't get out of it. I remember working a, a job years back before the Lord put me in ministry full time and I was working late at night uh, in the home improvement store that so many, many of you are familiar with that I've told before, but I was working there and it was late at night. And so there's no customers in the store. And uh, my department manager and I were going to move shower doors that were lined up in top stock and we're going to move them down and stock them in the area that has sold out and now needs new stock. Okay. So we go up real high on uh, forklift type machines where we lift it up and we step over to these racks and we're high up off the ground. And this rack of brand new shower glass doors, each one in its own special box is lined up one after another, all down a long line. And, uh, uh, we're going to move them down to the lower level and he's the manager and I'm working under him and we're working together to carry out this assignment. His name was Sherman and Sherman said, Stephen, we're going to take these down and we're going to move these, do all this. And we're, this is how we're going to do it. I said, Sherman, um, I don't think that's a good idea because if you move this and that, uh, then you're removing the support from that area. And if it started to lean or something like that, we can't hold that much weight back. Now, if it does fall, 
Yeah, it's going to end at a certain point so nobody could get hurt. But uh, I, I don't think that's a good idea. I know what I'm doing here. I know what I'm doing here. We need to get this job done. Well, uh, all right, Sherman, if, uh, you go right ahead. I don't think that's a good idea. Look, 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 I've done this before. Okay, all right, I'll, 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 I'll help you out. Okay, so we start moving some shower doors out, and he's removing some safety uh, holdback bars that he shouldn't remove because he's trying to speed the process up. And he removed a few too many, and then he get in there and trying to get one of these doors out, and he pushed real hard to give it a pull. And when he pushed, he pushed the pile over, and it started falling like dominoes, one after another, all the way down. And all you could hear was every time it fell, one fell, you hear crash, and all of the glass on the inside of every single one of those doors shattered and broke. You could hear like all the way to the end. <laughs> Woo! What did he do? Oh, he loads them anyhow and brings them all down to the bottom and shoves them into the area where the new stock goes. Okay. Next day, store opens up. And I told them, I said, hey, Sherman, they're all, they're all broken. We got to get rid of them. Oh, we'll get rid of them. We'll get rid of them. I'm running things around here. Everything's all right. Okay. And so um, uh, the next morning, the store opens. Sure enough, about 10 o'clock in the morning, uh, somebody comes in to buy a shower door. And they're looking around this area, and, and he happens to be standing there, and they ask for his help. And uh, he says, oh, yeah, this is the size you need right here. And he loads it on the cart, helps him get it on the cart. And the guy says, hmm. He says, well, sounds, sounds like broken glass in there. Sherman says, oh, 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 no, that's not broken glass. That's just a bag of hardware. You know, uh, in the hardware bag, they put some screws and uh, uh, other little uh, pieces to connect to the door. That's all that is. Maybe it came out of the bag. And the customer says, well, hmm, oh, oh, okay. And he takes the door, buys it, leaves, comes back later after Sherman's off the clock, returns it. Why? The whole thing's broken. Why? Every single one of them is broken. Pastor Stephen, what happened to old Sherman? Oh, he got promoted to a different store. <laughs> there's, no, no, there's no telling what he broke when he got over there. As soon as he left, me and another guy took every single one of those broken doors and stuck them back in what's called, what is that, RTA, return authorization, uh, RTM, return authorization merchandise or something like that. In other words, send it all back to the manufacturer, get some kind of a refund for it because it's all broken. Well, my friends, you can be under a person. Sometimes you think this is crazy. Why, why is that going on? I'll tell you exactly why. God is showing you that when you're in leadership, he's showing you how right now he's showing you how not to do it when you get there. And I've had it happen in ministry. I've seen things in ministry when I was younger, and I thought, whoa, whoa, that's crazy. And the Lord says, yeah, that was real crazy what you saw. Make sure you never do that because mm, you're going to get the same results if you do what he or she did. I thought, oh, Lord, you're talking about the spirit of the fear of the Lord. Ooh, thank you, Jesus. Mm, what do you do? What do you do? You have to walk in wisdom. You have to walk in wisdom because, you know, you don't want to get, you don't want to get the boot for something that's actually somebody else's fault. So all of these things are uh, delicate areas. You have to play it as you go. Walk it out as you go. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Hallelujah. So I think these things are very, very important in the age in which we're living. All right, let's go back. Very important. Praise the Lord. We're now, we're in Daniel chapter 2. Let's drop down to verse 21. And he changes the times and the seasons. 
He removes kings and raises up kings and gives wisdom to the wise and knowledge to those who have understanding. Notice, my friends, that God gives wisdom to the wise, not to the idiots, not to the person that just pushes a whole thing of doors and just breaks them all in pieces. No, you don't, you don't have bad experiences and suddenly say, you know what? That didn't work. I have now become wise. I'll never do that again. No, they just keep on doing it. Wisdom goes to the wise. Wisdom goes to those who crave it, to those who want it. Mm, praise the Lord. Wisdom goes to the wise. Look at Revelation chapter 22. The Holy Spirit is going to have you major on wisdom. Revelation chapter 22. We're going down to verse 11. He who is unjust, let him be unjust still. He who is filthy, let him be filthy still. He who is righteous, let him be righteous still. He who is holy, let him be holy still. If you don't move into wisdom, you can lock yourself into a path of self-deception where you keep walking that path thinking things will change, but they're not going to change if you're not walking in obedience to God's word. And there is a place with the Lord in this area of wisdom that if you fully commit and say, God, I don't want to be doing stupid stuff. I want to be living right. I want to walk in wisdom. I want to walk in righteousness. I want to walk in holiness. I want to walk clean in a dirty world. If you really express before the Lord a great desire to move into wisdom and to move into that category, there will come a point, there will come a point God locks you into it. And it clicks, and it begins, it begins to come alive to you, and the next thing you know, it's flowing. And you start thinking in wisdom, you start acting in righteousness, you start living in holiness. And you have to understand, Daniel, even in his day, he was like a living legend. Even Ezekiel talked about Daniel. Ezekiel was alive when Daniel was ministering, when Daniel was in his position of authority. And he said, he said, out of the great saints, we have Daniel, we have Noah, and we have Job. These are three of the most righteous men to ever walk on the face of the earth. Praise the Lord. If you want in and you're, you're fully committed and you want to get into that wisdom of the Lord, if you'll set your feet to it, there'll come a place God will lock you in. But if you want to stay filthy, if you want to stay stupid, if you want to just keep playing around in the dark or just riding the fence, watch out. You're playing with danger. You could get locked into that because we're dealing with spiritual laws here. He who is unjust, let him be unjust still. He who is filthy, let him be filthy still. Watch out. You stay on that path. After continued opportunities to get off of it, continued warnings to get off of it, continued extensions of God's love and grace and mercy to get off of it, watch out. You could lock yourself into that path where now you're filthy and you will be filthy still. Mm. Make the choice today to put your feet on the right path and say, I will live this way. I will not eat the king's food. I will not drink the king's wine. I will not defile myself. I'm not going to put something into my body that breaks or violates my conscience or the word of God. I'm going to honor the Lord. I'm going to honor the Lord. 
Mm -mm. Let him who is holy be holy still. Praise the Lord. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Now, let's jump back to the good book of Daniel. Verse 23. I thank you and praise you, O God of my fathers. You have given me wisdom and might, and have now made known to me what we asked of you, for you have made known to us the king's demand. So now he's able now, through wisdom and might, he's now able to go before the king with, I mean, he's, he's, he's walking on confidence. He's, he's loaded with revelation. Uh, this is not like, well, I, I think I got the interpretation. No, no. He's like, he walks in there. He knows he's got the answer and he's, he's carrying it like gold <laughs> and he's, he's kind of hamming it up. There's the pork again, right? But he's living for the moment. Oh, King, know that there is no other but God. I mean, he's just, he's just, he's having a good time. And then he reveals it. He pulls back up the forgotten dream. Then he gives the interpretation. By the time he's done, they're speechless. They're just like, whoa, whoo. They've never seen anything like it before. Mm -mm. Praise God. But look at that. This is what Daniel said to the Lord. You have given me wisdom and might. You have given me wisdom and might. Praise the Lord. What is wisdom? It's knowing from scriptural foundation which way to go. Hmm. Knowing which way to go. What is might? The empowerment to go or the empowerment to do what has been revealed through wisdom. Wisdom and might. Here's a good example. Wisdom. You have prayed. You feel the call of God that you're going to go to a foreign nation. And then you get a powerful prophecy from a prophet Thus says the Lord God is God is calling you to go to this nation and you will minister in that nation. Boom. That's wisdom. You've got the word and you're, you're, you're excited. You're happy. This is what happens so often. You get right up to that moment where the wisdom, which has revealed the direction that you are to go, you get right up very close now to the reality or the realization of that moment. And suddenly obstacles Come up everywhere. And I'm talking real obstacles that would try to stop you, block you, or hinder you from going. You may even get a notification where the country says, we're not, we're not allowing you to come in. We've banned missionaries for now or something like that. And you think, now what am I supposed to do when God has spoken to me to go and I've even received a confirming prophecy, supernaturally received it, that I'm supposed to be there. What are you going to do? Well, you've had the wisdom. Now you need the might. Wisdom and might. Mm -mm. Thank you, Jesus. And that is what is being released upon the Lord's people right now so that we might move forward in the fullness of God's plan for us as a church and also as individuals walking in the power of God. So there's wisdom and might. Wisdom to determine the path and might to bring it to pass. Praise the Lord. Thank you, Jesus. Now, we're going to come back, but very quickly, let us look in the gospel of Mark chapter six, Mark chapter six, verse two. And when the Sabbath had come, he began to teach in the synagogue and many hearing him were astonished saying, where did this man get these things? What things? This, this is what it is. And what wisdom is this, which is given to him that such mighty works are performed by his hands. 
Is this not the carpenter? Okay, so you have Jesus walking in wisdom. They say he's got some outrageous wisdom and mighty works. Notice again, just like Daniel, they're linked on purpose together. Wisdom, mighty works. With Daniel, it was wisdom and might. Jesus, wisdom, mighty works. They, they always sync up together. Why? You need both of them. <laughs> you need both of them. And perhaps one of my favorite scriptures on this subject is found in 1 Corinthians chapter 1. And let's go to verse 23. But we preach Christ crucified to the Jews, a stumbling block and to the Greeks foolishness. But to those who are called, that's you and me, both Jews and Greeks, Christ, watch this, the power of God and the wisdom of God. Power, okay, power and might. The power of God and the wisdom of God. What is the gospel? It's Christ, the power of God and the wisdom of God. Mm -mm. If you'll carefully look sometime at Isaiah chapter 11, where the seven spirits of the Lord are listed, one Holy Spirit, but seven unique attributes. If you look closely, you'll see that you can actually take the seven and you can condense them down to two because the spirit of wisdom encompasses a subset of some of those titles and the spirit of might would encompass the other remaining subset titles. So you primarily have wisdom and might. And we see it here. Christ, the power the might, okay, the power of God and the wisdom of God. There's the gospel right there. It's not this one without that one. It's always both. So you must have both. And that, my friends, is what Daniel discovered. Now, how did he get into the wisdom and most importantly, the might? Because if you only get the wisdom, you're halfway. You're going to need the wisdom and the might. How? In his case, did he contact it? Well, he actually shows us right there in Scripture. Let's go back to it one more time. Daniel chapter 2. And I want you to look at it very carefully. Verse 16. So Daniel went in. Think about it just for a moment if you had heard that. If you had been told... They're killing all of us. And we've got a short reprieve to figure out a solution. And if we figure out the solution, we live. If we don't, we're going to be dead in the morning. What did they do? You can do the same thing right where you're at right now. And here it is. So Daniel went in and asked the king to give him time that he might tell the king the interpretation. Then Daniel went to his house. And made the decision known to Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, his companions. Now, he brings them in. Why? It affects them too. Okay? So now we're all on board. If it's just you, you may have to be the only one that walks this out in the way that we're about to see. But if there's others involved, well, they, we all better get together because we're all of us are on the line on this one. Praise God. And we said that this is a corporate event. Verse 18. They all, they're all together that they might seek mercies from the God of heaven 
concerning this secret, so that Daniel and his companions might not perish with the rest of the, of the wise men of Babylon. <gasps> then the secret was revealed to Daniel in a night vision. So Daniel blessed the God of heaven. Pastor Stephen, what did he do? You ready for it? In basic layman's terms, he prayed at night and prayed at night and stayed up and didn't go to sleep until he got the answer. You mean that's what he did? Yep. Just like Jesus. He got to the point. He's got to have his apostles. And he's got all these guys following him, and he's going to have to choose 12. Mm, he's going to have to choose 12. Oh, Pastor Stephen, that ain't no big deal. Just wake up the next day and you'll pick the best ones and, you know, and just, you know, get them on your team. Just like choosing a basketball team, you know, just pick the best ones. No, it's not like that. This is going down for an all-time recognition. He stayed up all night and prayed. By the way, in Daniel's case with he and his friends, if you don't get the answer, there ain't no use pouring the maple syrup on the pancakes. You're going to be dead by breakfast time anyhow. In other words, how can you go to sleep? How can you go to sleep in a situation like this when if you don't respond and pray all night, if need be, the, the blessing that is almost so close you can reach it, the blessing will pass you by by noon tomorrow if you don't contact the spirit of wisdom, particularly here, the spirit of might. Wow. Praise the Lord. So they prayed, and they prayed, and they prayed, and they prayed at night, prayed at night, prayed at night. Well, now, Pastor Stephen, God understands we need our beauty sleep. Well, you're not going to look too beautiful getting executed. Might as well stay up and pray. And if you'll push, 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 push. You ever notice that Friday night's a good night for that? Why? Because many people work Monday through Friday. You don't have to work on Saturday. And so Friday night, just go for it. Just you know, stay up and pray. Go for it. But you're going for it for a certain reason, to unravel the secret of the wisdom, what you should do, and the might, the ability, really, to get the solution to an insolvable problem. Now, nations and political leaders around the world are going to run into, into situations in the natural. There is no way out. But with God, and with God only, there is always a way out, but you're going to have to be willing to burn the midnight oil to make the end time conquest. Again, you're going to have to be willing to burn the midnight oil to make the end time conquest. Praise God. It's there for you. But if you keep going, you keep going, boom, you'll hit the spirit of wisdom and might, particularly the spirit of might. That's the one that will break it open. That's that anointing and power riding on it. Mm -mm. Glory to God. But it's a one-two punch. Christ, the power, boom, and the wisdom, boom, of God. There's your gospel right there. The gospel was never meant to be an intellectual discourse. Well, we try to talk people out of hell and talk people into heaven. There has to be power. There has to be power. There has to be power. Thank you, Lord Jesus. <laughs> Praise the Lord. Some of you, bless your hearts, you know it's true. Don't raise your hand. You know that perhaps at some point in your life, before you ever gave your life to Jesus, you know you stayed up all night getting drunk. 
You know you stayed up all night at the casino gambling. You know you stayed up all night out on the town. Some of you, bless your heart, you know you've shopped all night, got so excited, went to Walmart 24 hours, and you stayed up all night. Have you ever stayed up all night to encounter the spirit of wisdom and might? Mm. Mm. Praise the Lord. I think for some of you, and this is why I'm preaching this message. For some of you, you're bumping up to that point where you're right there at it. And um, you've had the wisdom. You even know the direction. But now you need the might. Now you need the might. Look, you're going to have to have a prayer life. And uh, maybe you wrote on grandma's uh, prayer coattail for a while, but maybe grandma's graduated on the heaven. Maybe mama has too. You're going to have to pray. Praise the Lord. You're going to have to really get in there and pray. Praise God. But there is an anointing of the spirit. You can get in there and you ride that anointing. Boom, 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 boom. And just pray, pray, pray. And God will give you what you need and you'll get the breakthrough too before sunup. Hallelujah. Then after you get it, might just want to stay up for a while anyhow because you're excited. Watch the sun come up. Praise God. Hallelujah. Well, now, Pastor Stephen, I didn't know there was going to be like sacrifice of sleep or something like that involved. Well, sure beats getting executed. And it's not like you've got to do it every night. Praise the Lord. Something very seriously to consider here. Whoo, thank you, Jesus. Mm-mm. Then the secret was revealed to Daniel in the night vision. Some of you, you're at a crossroads, and the road goes this way or that way, but you can't you can't see it. It's it's like it's like there's a veil, and you don't know which way to go. But yet you're you're coming right up to it. Hmm. Well, what am I going to do, Pastor Stephen? Am I am I going to just take a chance? No, no, no. We don't do stuff like that. We do things out of certainty. We do it with faith when we do do it. So you're going to have to pray until you know. Hallelujah. And then when you know, you'll be like Daniel going in there to the king's throne room. Woo, I got the answer, king. Here it is. Get ready. All of you magi who are writers and scribes, get your pen ready. You ain't never heard nothing like this before. God's about to reveal his power. Mm-mm. Mm. Thank you, Jesus. Mm, praise the Lord. Glory to God. Glory to God. I, in the past, have endeavored to do a few uh, corporate all-night prayer meetings. And um, I'm not saying I won't do any in the future. But here in, in the Western world, in the Western church, and I, I know it's different in a lot of other countries, but here in the Western world, anytime you try to hold an all-night prayer meeting, why is it that most of the ones that come want to turn it into a worship service. Well, Pastor Stephen, maybe we could pray a little better if I get over here on the piano. Mm. No, 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 no. Um, the reason why is most people don't want to get down to the nitty gritty. They want to go play the piano or they want to uh, sing a little tune or something like that. And the whole time, the whole time, the, the dude with the machete is showing up to chop the wise men's head off in the morning. I, get off the keyboard and pray. <laughs> put down the saxophone. Put away the microphone. We better pray or we're going to be in hot water. Mm, praise the Lord. Mm, mm. 
Um, sometimes they call them harp and bowl meetings. And in the book of Revelation, we see, you know, about the harp and the bowl, uh, the harp representing worship and the bowl representing the bowl of intercession. But uh, most of the corporate prayer meetings I've ever been to, they all turn into a harp meeting. There's no bowling. There's nothing but it's just all harping, singing and syrupy worship going on for a couple of hours. And nobody's really praying. Nobody's really praying. Why? Because that takes exertion. It takes focus. And it takes us a, a gut emptying sacrifice. But praise the Lord. If you do that, you'll contact the spirit of wisdom and might. Hallelujah. And you'll leave that place with victory. God has never planned failure for your destiny. He has planned for you to win. Most Christians don't know how to win. They're content to live their lives with excuses for why they endure defeat my friends, I'm saying again, with God, there is always a way out. There is always a way through. Praise the Lord. Mm -mm. One more time. Then the secret was revealed to Daniel in a night vision. So Daniel blessed the God of heaven. Well, now, now somebody get on the keyboard. Now somebody strike up a tune. Let's praise the Lord. Why? We have now received the answer that we need. Praise God. But there are times when we must do the praying. Get on your knees or walk around if it helps you to stay awake and just pray. Worship the Lord with your hands up and pray, 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 pray. When I was in my 20s, I would go to some of these all-night prayer meetings. And there would be always people that would try to hijack the praying and get it over into some kind of a worship thing. And I remember one time the pastor had told the hid prayer intercessor, don't let anybody play the um, the uh, the piano or stuff like that. And up on the stage was a real nice piano. I'm talking like a six-figure, you know, may, maybe $200,000 piano. And uh, so, uh, you know, we're in a big building. I think the church had about 10,000 people. And uh, but for the all-night prayer meeting, oh, usually only about nine, nine or 11 people showed up. They were almost all grandmothers, uh, older ladies who loved to pray and loved to, you know, support the pastor. Not even the pastor ever came out. All the times I went, he never came out to the all-night Friday prayer meeting. But it was amazing that if there was a visitor, particularly a guy, a guy, they would always want to get over on the piano. Oh, y'all pray and I'll, I'll play some music. <laughs> oh, oh, praise the Lord. Pray, pray, pray. Seek the Lord. Don't play around. Pray. Pray, praise the Lord. Look, we've had enough Christians that are, that are praising and clapping. And they think they're worshiping. And I think a lot of people in the world look at it as a nuisance. You're just making noise. Stop making noise and give us something that we can see that will validate the God that you say that you serve. We need to see not only the wisdom. We need to see the might. We need to see the might. Mm -mm. Let's give it to him. Mm. Come on. Let's give it to him. Praise the Lord. <laughs> Woo. Praise the Lord. Hallelujah. Lift your hands. Father, I just pray the spirit of Daniel, that spirit of excellence, two of the great men in the Bible that walked in high levels of wisdom, Joseph and Daniel. But I'm particularly praying, for, Father, for that Daniel anointing to pray.
and to touch your people, that anointing of your spirit to touch your people with wisdom and might, wisdom and might. Thank you, Father God, to get impossible breakthroughs, to inspire many other believers. We thank you, Father God, and to astound those that are out in the world. Oh, thank you, Father. Thank you, Father. Anoint your people. In Jesus' great name, we pray. Amen. Praise the Lord. You know, we're called not to be salt to the church. We're not call, called to be light to the church. We're called to be salt to the world, to the unbelievers, and light to the unbelievers, so they can see the glory. Praise God. They can see the proofs of our prayers that God truly is alive, doing amazing things in our lives at the, at the most improbable times when others, when others are struggling to even survive. Praise the Lord. Hallelujah. God's power has not waned. God's power is available. The spirit of might breaking forth in your life to pull you through in the direction that you're supposed to go. Father, we give you all the praise in Jesus' great name. Amen. And amen. Praise the Lord. Mm. Hallelujah. Some of you need to cry out for wisdom. I'm seeing an angel, a scribe angel right now with a red garment, a red robe, and he has a pen, and it's, the, it's an angel of wisdom. And many of you, you, uh, you need to enlist into the heavenly school of wisdom, the university of wisdom, praise God. And I'm not talking about the wisdom of the world, because the wisdom of the world denies the wisdom of God and denies the resurrection, denies the virgin birth. Hallelujah. But I'm talking about the wisdom of God, the wisdom that is above all. Hmm. Praise the Lord. Glory to God. Enlist right now. Just cry out to the Lord for wisdom. Lord, give me the spirit of wisdom and the spirit of might. Father, we give you praise. Thank you, Father God. Hallelujah. We are students enlisted in the university of divine wisdom. Praise you, Father God. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Praise the Lord. Thank you, Jesus. If you're watching today's program and you don't know Christ as your personal Lord and Savior, He's the only way to heaven. He is the only mediator between God and man. There is no other mediator. There is no other way to heaven except through Christ, the man, Christ Jesus, Jesus of Nazareth, who now is seated at the right hand of God. If you would like to receive forgiveness of your sins and receive eternal life and be born again, Pray this prayer right now. Say, Lord Jesus, I am a sinner. I turn from my sins. Thank you for dying for me on the cross. Jesus, you died to set me free from my sins. Right now, Jesus, wash my sins away. Write my name in your book of life. I give my life to you completely right now. Save me. Thank you, Jesus. In your name I pray. Amen. And amen. And that was the wisest decision you've ever made in your life. Praise God. If you have been a Christian, but you've walked away from God, you've got tangled up in sin, you've gotten yourself in a mess, God's wisdom will always direct you in the way to go. The first thing that you do is you humble yourself. Second Chronicles chapter 7, verse 14. 
You don't pray. You don't do this or that or the other. The first thing, you humble yourself and you say, God, I have forsaken you. I am not living right. I have turned away from you. And upon humbling yourself and acknowledging your sin, then you pray and repent and turn from your sin. If that's you, backslidden Christian, pray this prayer right now. Say, Jesus, I've gotten far away from you. I, that some of you want to, you don't want to say that. You just want to say, well, I've gotten away. No, you have gotten far away from the Lord if you have forsaken him. So acknowledge that. Humble yourself. Say, Jesus, I have gotten far away from you. And my life is not right with you. Jesus, I repent of what I've been doing that's wrong. Restore me back unto you. Forgive me and strengthen me. In your name I pray. Amen. Hallelujah. Welcome to the university of wisdom, <laughs> which is what? Obeying God's commandments, knowing them, obeying them, teaching them, discipling all nations. Praise God. The Lord is good. Let's take some Holy Communion. Grab some unleavened bread and some grape juice. Praise the Lord. Even if this is not your church home, you can still join us because we're one in Christ. Uh, those of you that are believers in Jesus, praise the Lord. Father, we bless the bread, the juice. In the name of Jesus, we set it apart as being holy through this prayer. And we thank you that this is now the body and the blood of Jesus. So Father, as we, as we get ready to take the body of Jesus, we thank you that we receive your word of wisdom and might to pray, if need be, perhaps all night in a very, very tricky situation where we must have a breakthrough, an answer and a breakthrough. So Father, we give you praise that what you did for Daniel will be also a very similar testimony that you're going to give so many of your people. And we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's receive the body of Jesus. Hmm. Praise the Lord. Secrets are being revealed. Even right now during communion, praise the Lord. It was on the road to Emmaus when the disciples had their eyes spiritually opened, the eyes of their understanding. As they, as they completed that journey and took communion with the Lord. Father, we thank you for the blood of Jesus. We thank you for forgiveness and cleansing from all sin. We thank you that just like Noah and Job and Daniel, we want to live right. We don't want to mess with sin. We want to walk in wisdom and walk in purity and walk in righteousness. Oh God, establish our steps. On this pathway. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Let's receive. Praise the Lord. Glory. Glory to the Lord Jesus. Praise God. Mm -mm. Just say, Lord Jesus, give unto me your spirit of wisdom, your spirit of revelation, and your spirit of might. Thank you, O God. Let your wisdom and might be released into my life. Lord, take me further with my prayer life. Lord, take me further by your grace. In Jesus' name, amen. Praise the Lord. Now, just like Daniel asked the king for time, you have a window of time to get the answer 
to get the wisdom and the might to go forward. Praise God. Make good use of that time. Thanks for watching. I look forward to seeing you back again. Till then, stay blessed. Bye-bye.